My friends, here's the greatest news of all time. News that the children, the angels, have announced to us. Words that our children have learned by heart. Words that we need to know by heart. Not only by memory, but in our hearts. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting light in life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Believe the good news of the gospel in this Christmas season and in every day of the year. Because of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and have new life. Amen. Let's take some time and turn toward the manger. And as we do, let's remember people that do not know their way there. They do not know that there is a manger. Let's pray. Our Father, how grateful we are that every day is a manger day. Every day is Christmas. Every day, Lord Jesus, you are born anew into our lives because of your great grace and salvation. Your love for us that you were willing to leave heaven and come to earth to live among us, to live as one of us, fully God and fully human, full of grace and truth. That you were willing to come and teach us by your example of being emptied. That you were willing to be sacrificed, slain for our sins. That you were willing to enter the darkest place so that there would be no darkness in our lives. Oh Lord, we do bow in awe and humility that this great gift would be given to us. And we pray that we would share that gift every day, far and wide, in action, in attitude, with our words, with the things you've given us to share, with the words you've given us to share, with the resources you've given us to share, that we would pray deeply and act responsibly for those who do not know you. Some of them are next door. Some of them are people entrusted with great power, but they do not know the power that is your love and grace. Some of them are far away. Some of them are our enemies. Some of them are people we don't like. Some of them are the last people on earth we would think to pray for. But Lord Jesus, they're the people you came to save. Because while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You were born to lead us into emptying ourselves as you emptied yourself. So that the fullness of your glory, Lord, could be shown to us and through us. And so we pray for those who are facing devastation. Lord, many hundreds, even thousands, again, have lost homes this week in our very midst, nearby. And yet, Lord, people lost homes and lives around the world this week that we didn't even hear about. They need to know about your grace. So, Lord, unite our hearts and our lives and our voices in sharing that good news. You've given us your own son to reunite us with yourself. 
and you continue to pour into our lives blessings, glimpses of heaven for a promise of forever that we get to proclaim and take to other people. So take now our lives and these gifts you've given us that that might take place for your glory. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The theme for the morning in O Come All Ye Faithful. And the powerful words of the last verse are ones that we need to be singing every day. Fourth of July, our birthdays, Easter. Yea, Lord, we greet Thee. Every morning, we get up and we say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you for coming to find me. Yea, Lord, we greet Thee, born this happy morning. You see, Christmas is all year long. It's every day we remember that the God of the universe came looking for us to fill our deepest need. Jesus, to Thee, to Thee be all glory given. Why all glory given to Jesus? Because He is the God of the universe. Not second class. One with the Father. Word of flesh, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. And about 700 years before he did come, the prophet Isaiah spoke of what this great gift would consist of. Listen, as I read for us our word of scripture this morning, God's word to us, beginning in the end of Isaiah 52, and then the first three verses of Isaiah 53. Listen to God's word. See, my servant, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Jesus said that of himself. When I, when I be lifted up, lifted up on the cross, will draw all people to myself. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance. His side pierced, his hands and his feet nailed. So marred was his appearance beyond human semblance, beaten to a pulp, that child born in a manger. And his form beyond that of mortals, so he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard they shall contemplate. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before us like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Nothing in his appearance, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with grief and infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. 
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that your good news would come now and find us, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock. You are our salvation. And because of this, we pray all these things. In the name of the one, Jesus Christ, who came to be our light and salvation. Amen. I was thinking about this passage. I've uh, been pretty familiar with this for a long time. I've studied it on a lot of levels. I've sung it as a small child in uh, choirs. But some years ago, I guess I was thinking about this, some years ago, I was traveling to a pastor's event in Pasadena, California at Fuller Seminary. And as I got off the plane, uh, there, were, there was a coffee shop with uh, some tables along the walkway. You've probably seen them as you go to various airports. Kind of like our coffee village, you know, little enclosure where you could sit and have a cup of coffee. People were in their typical hurry to go stand in line for their luggage and wait for it. You know, just how our people are in a big hurry to get off the airplane. I'm thinking, your luggage isn't going to be there for 20 minutes. What do you I always sit in the back of the airplane and just watch, but I digress. As I walked by that coffee station, that that place where people would stop for a cup of coffee, smart people, by the way, they're waiting for their luggage. They know how long it'll take. I, I looked at that coffee place and I saw a man and a woman chatting. And they weren't three feet from me, they were maybe from... Nathan to me, right here. Uh, but I recognized the man. I recognized the man. So without breaking stride as I'm walking, I leaned over quietly and I said to the man, thank you for being such a great entertainer. And he smiled and quietly said, as if to say, thanks for not making a big deal out of it. And I walked on. I, I don't think I broke stride. I, I just did that all in one motion. I never really stopped. But it, as I continued to walk, probably 20 or 30 feet beyond that setting, a woman came up to me and she grabbed my elbow and, and she said, was, was that William Shatner? And I said, yeah, we go way back. <laughs> And I headed on to get my luggage. The irony of that moment was, I don't think at that point, well, I, I know at that point, I had never watched five episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> I know. Uh, why couldn't it have been Jimmy Stewart or John Wayne or somebody? You know, we all do respect to William Shatner. He was very gracious. But my point is this. Here's my point for today. A zillion people were in that airport. And they had all seen many episodes of Star Trek. They, there were a lot of Trekkies in there. 
that day. It's Los Angeles, there had to be. Because there's a lot of people from outer space in Los Angeles. But <laughs> Some of you live there, you know. That's why you're here. There were lots of Trekkies there. But they were all in too big a hurry to notice that their hero, Captain Kirk, was sitting there drinking coffee. No one stopped but me. That woman did not go back and try to get his autograph. I tripped her when she tried, but that was, I was... <laughs> so, Isaiah's words tell us that Israel was in the same predicament. You know, the, the more things change, the more they remain the same. Israel was in the same predicament as the situation I've just described. The one they needed to see was God's promise of faithfulness. He had not yet come in person, but here's the deal. The promise was as good as the presence. I want you to realize that. I want you to live into that. The promise was as good as the presence. He had not yet come, but they knew they'd been promised he would. He has not yet come again, but the promise is that he will come again, and the promise is as good as the presence. But listen to the honest confession from Isaiah. He says to us that the promise grew up in their midst, but when it did not happen their way, when it did not appear on their terms, they gave up on it. Because the promise, what was promised, was not attractive to him. What was the promise? that he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that he would be beaten up, that he would not be beautiful, that he would not look like what we wanted him to look like. And so they gave up on that promise. And the same thing's happening to us. Because you see, looking back, we can see that the one Isaiah was talking about was God's Messiah, our Savior, the Christ, Jesus but we rush by. We rush by the promise, not really believing. Nah, it couldn't be, could it? That there is nothing about him that says he can save us. That does not look like it would save us, especially if they make me get up there. And so we keep looking as a culture, as a, as a human race, for thousands of years, we have kept looking for a prettier, stronger, easier promise of hope. Because after all, our, our hope can't be one who is filled with suffering, can't be one from whom we hide our faces, can he? No one else is really looking to Jesus, are they? And really they aren't. Look around in our culture. There's, there's 50 or 60,000 people in this town. And even in this season of the High Holy Days, there are a couple hundred of us here today, the oldest church in the state of Nevada. There are maybe 1,500 people in this whole city in worship seeking the Savior today as the one who was broken that we might be healed. He can't be the one, can he? Yes. 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 He can, because he lived, 
And he died, and he rose again. And nothing is more verified than that in all of human history. And yet, just like Isaiah said, who has believed what we have heard? He grew up out of dry ground. He wasn't what we expected. He still isn't what our human nature expects because we're sinful and we're broken and we're doubting and we're looking for something bigger and brighter and shinier. But yes, he can. And the reason he can and did and does is because Jesus came for those who are acquainted with sorrow and suffering and who know they need to stop and let his understanding and who he is fill up their lives. That's why he can. And that's why he does. And that's why he will. But it is only as we let our sorrow and what is truly missing in our lives, that missing peace, fill us up. The one who comes for us calls us over the busy walkway and says, Hey, come over here. Come and sit down with me, but not for a cup of coffee. Come, my body broken for you. My blood shed for you. Sit down and let's talk about that, he says. Come and spend time with me. You see, he is the one. He is the one. We are called to come and adore he is the one who makes our hearts sing when we can't sing. And a lot of you think you can't. But because of who he is, our hearts sing. Our lives sing. As we come to know just who he is and what he has done. As he defines what our true need is. And then shows us day by day, note by note, word by word, what it will mean to come and adore him. Adore him. Because it is as this is taking place, all the other stuff of life, all of our sorrows, all of our afflictions, all of our doubts and fears melt away. The songs we sing today and next week, and really any time we're in worship, call us into a new way of life. Born to give us a second birth, not the old life, not the old disappointments, not the things that haven't worked, a new life. And though the actual words, this is interesting, the actual words adore and adoration appear nowhere in Scripture. Everything about who God is, everything about who God is in Jesus Christ and what he does for us calls us to adore him. To go beyond simply loving him, but to give adoration, to bow down before him. These are the days that call us to take off our shoes because we're standing on holy ground. This is not business as usual. The God of the universe has come looking for you and me. He's come looking for us because he knows what's broken. He knows what doesn't work. He knows that nothing will work except what he has for us. This is the greatest story ever told. It calls us to stop 
and be still. There's a word you'll see in the margin of the Psalms. You've probably seen it. There's a Christian group by this name, Selah, S-E-L-A-H. What this season is about, what Jesus does when he comes for us is a Selah moment because Selah means stop. It's an interlude. It's a rest. But it doesn't mean to do nothing. It means to pause because pausing is not doing nothing. It is doing the most important thing that is possible, and that is to say, Yea, Lord, we greet thee born this happy morning. Selah is a time of realizing that because God has kept his promise, our luggage will wait. It'll be there for us. Our appointments, all the things we think are so important, can and will wait. And what we thought was just another face in the crowd, and even one we would rather not see, is in fact the only one who can make us whole. Adoration. Adoration, oh yes. Adoration and so much more. But how easily, how easily we rush by because we are so sure we know where we need to go and what we need to have. I shared this many years ago when there was a young violinist in our midst who was about the size of her little sister. But 10 years ago, a man by the name of Joshua Bell emerged from the subway in Washington, D.C., very appropriately, and he positioned himself against a wall by a trash can. And by most measures, he was nondescript. He was a youngish white man. He was in jeans, long-sleeved t-shirt, Washington Capitals baseball cap on. From a small case, he removed a violin. People had seen street performers before. They hurried by. He left the case open. He shrewdly threw a few seed dollars in the, the case to make it look like people had actually made a donation. And some pocket change as seed money. And then he began to play. And then Joshua Bell began to play. And for the next 45 minutes in the Washington, D.C. subway, the Metro, on a busy day in January, Joshua Bell played Mozart and Schubert as over a thousand people streamed by, most of them hardly taking notice. If they had paid attention, they might, they might have recognized the young man as the world-renowned violinist that he was and is. They might have also noticed the violin he was playing, a rare Stradivarius worth $3 million. It was all part of a project and a plan arranged by the Washington Post, an experiment in context, perception, and priorities. I wonder if that's what God was doing. I think it was. An experiment in context, perception, and priorities, as well as an unblinking assessment of public taste. It wasn't Alan Jackson, after all. It was Joshua Bell. Nothing wrong with Alan Jackson, but uh, people were missing Mozart and Schubert. In this banal setting, at an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend? Would it cause people to take a breath and go, oh my gosh, I don't know who that is, but that's the most beautiful sound I've ever heard in my life. 
See, just three days earlier, Joshua Bell had sold out the Boston Symphony Hall with ordinary seats back then, 10 years ago, going for 100 bucks, probably 500 today. In the subway that day, for 45 minutes, Joshua Bell made 32 bucks. <laughs> 27 people stopped long enough to give a donation. My friends, that's our story. God has come and opened his case and said, I want to fill you up with who I am. And he's come to stand before us as our Savior and Lord to rescue us from hurrying toward trying to find significance or our luggage or whatever it is without him as being the Lord of everything. He wants to rescue us from the folly of the things we count so valuable. He came so we would know him. He speaks through his Holy Spirit in the words of the hymn that we'll sing in days to come, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. May today, my friends, be the day in which the words of the carols cause us to make a home in our hearts for the one the world has rejected. And may we sing as we walk and drive and shop and ponder so that the world would say, wait a minute, was that Jesus? I better go back. I better go back. And may we sing, yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning, Jesus, Savior, to thee be glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, oh, come, let us adore him. Amen. Let's pray. There's someone out there, and there's more than one, I guarantee it, that needs to feel and hear what you've felt and heard today. They need to know about the living Savior, Jesus Christ, word of the flesh, now in appearing to us. So let's remember that as we go out of this place, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us, every one of us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and go therefore in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit that enables us every step of the way to say Jesus is Lord. Amen.